0: Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. We're continuing our series of messages on the passion of God. And this morning we're going to be talking about God's passion for covenant, which is kind of interesting. I I don't think in 40 years I've ever said anything uh, kind of liked it. I've certainly taught on covenant. The idea that healing, how many of you know healing is in our covenant? Yeah. And, uh, and all of the benefits of covenant, but I never thought about the notion that God is the one who initiates covenant. He's passion for covenant. Passionate enough for covenant to die to establish covenant. Passionate enough for covenant to say, with great longing. As a matter of fact, Jesus says to the apostles of the Lamb, he says, with lust. I mean, that's the word that's used in Greek. With lust, I have desired to have this covenant meal with you. Well, what's, what's, what's iterating? What's provoking that, that, that passion of God? And I'm kind of leaning into what I consider a prophetic moment that happened uh, last week. Sandra Falkenstein was here uh, along with Barry, and uh, from RTF Ministries, and she had a prophetic word at, at this campus, and uh, it's being iterated this morning out at the Makonji campus. Because I, I reckon it it had like prophetic oomph, you know. By the way, oh by the way, when I say prophetic oomph, next week is going to be a great week. In the morning, we're going to be teaching on um, on the the n- n- normality of the gifts of the Spirit across the centuries. The fact that when we prophesy, speak in tongues, pray for healing, uh, pray for deliverance, when we do all those things that are, that are outlined in Revelation, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, and so forth, that, that this isn't unusual. This, is, this was considered to be, for centuries, a normative church experience. So we're gonna talk about that next week. But not only are we gonna talk about it, we're gonna pray for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit who've never had that experience. So if you know anyone, it's a great, it's a great Sunday to invite them, to bring them uh, aboard, and we're gonna do that. But I wanna get back to Sandra's prophetic oomph last week. Um, and I, I believe that that it was, that prophetic word was triggered because we're gonna be having this meeting next uh, Sunday night that has to do with transitioning. Uh, my transition, I'm 73 years old, I'll be 74 years old in April. Uh, but I am still really good looking. <laughs> and so I can say that because Tricia isn't here. She has a cold. <laughs> she says I look much better in a mask. So anyway. <laughs> so we're in a season. By the way, look, I, I just, so that people aren't on the edge of their seats all week. I am transitioning, but I'm not, I'm not, I ain't going away, all right? I'm not riding off into the sunset. You're my family, yeah? And, and uh, amen. And so, uh, hallelujah. So, so that's not the deal, but, but, but things are going to change in, in, a, in a, an important direction. And the direction is to establish a platform of covenant for this church to move on another 40 years. How's that? That's pretty cool. And if we can't do that, then the last 40 years kind of in vain. Yeah. So anyway, that's where we're going. So we're in a season where people, as well as the church, uh, corporately has been trying to, to suss out what God's doing. I mean, how many of you have asked God, asked yourselves, asked uh, uh, prophetic people or, or leaders over the last two years with all the political palaver, with all of the, the, the pandemic uh, uh, difficulties, uh, with churches, the movement of people between churches and all kinds of things that have been going on. How many of you have said, what are you doing, God? As if, you know, we were thinking just for a moment that God, that this was a surprise to God. You know, that God wasn't involved in this stuff. Look, I don't believe, and I've said this before, I don't believe for a moment that God Is the initiator of a pandemic, but I do believe he's the lord of it. There's a difference, yeah. And so, what we're talking about, uh, what we're talking about here, is a season where more in my lifetime. Look, I've been pastoring for 40 years here, right? And I can't remember a season in which there were more question marks flying to the throne as as there have been in the last two years. Matter of fact. I've spoke to two or three different national prophets and I, these are people that I trust, people that have a track record. These are people that are not given to what I call charismatic, prophetic extravagance. Uh, and, and, you know, and what I loved about it, when I said to them what do you think God is doing? All three of them said I don't know what God is doing. And God has the prerogative of not letting me in to know what he's doing. But I know he's doing something. Are you there? Matter of fact, I said (laughs) to the one guy, I said, said, well, it's Denny Kramer. I can say that. I said, so what are you saying to people about the pandemic and the politics and so forth? He said, people call me all the time and say, I need a word. And I hold up the Bible and say, here's a word. (laughs) And it doesn't get better than this. Are you there? So I understand that we need perspective, and I believe perspective's coming. I believe that we're in it. And this is why Sandra's prophecy was, was kind of good last week. As Sandra was prophesying, I was reminded watch this of the situation in Israel when after the catastrophe of the, uh, after the catastrophe of the Babylonian captivity, people were in captivity all those years. they were disillusioned. Under Ezra and Nehemiah, they come back and they're rebuilding the wall. I was reminded uh, while she was prophesying uh, that everybody was back and they were there and they started to rebuild, but then they stopped. And why did they stop? Well, they stopped because of the enemy. They stopped because they were tired. They stopped because they were disillusioned. They stopped because was it wasn't really worth it in the first place. They stopped because they couldn't envision that what God was doing now could ever be better than what he did in the past. They stopped because they were lethargic. Does everybody know what the word lethargic means? It's like, who cares? Are you there? Okay, and so I was reminded of that in the book of Ezra, In chapter 4, you don't have to turn there. I just want you to listen. She's prophesying, and this is the scripture that comes to me. And it's this. It says in in chapter 4, verse 24, it says, Thus the work on the house of the Lord in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the prophet, a descendant of Edo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and in Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. And then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, son of uh, Josedach, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. The picture is this. They stopped. They just said, ah, you know, I got no vision for this. I got no energy for this. I got no, I got no passion for this anymore. So God sent Haggai and Zechariah to re-envision them, huh? To re-envision them as to what they were called to, why they were the people of God, and to pick up. You know, actually, they, they they went to work with a with with a, to, building tools in one hand and swords in the other. Yeah, and it was that. Amen. And so it was that kind of thing. When she was prophesying, I I was I was encouraged. I believe that we're being encouraged by God right now to build. Uh, Zechariah was called to prophesy to God's people, to build, not to fall into hesitation. And so our text this morning is going to be from Zechariah chapter 8, from that very moment, because I believe that it's an extension. Now, Now, I got a problem. And here's the problem. When I say passion for covenant, and you guys hear the word covenant, I would suggest that 80% of you, when you hear the word covenant, think of rules. Because a covenant implies that we have a responsibility, and there's a responsibility to live out what the covenant says. Am I right? And so covenant means I've got to do this and not do that and not do this. It's so much bigger than that. You know, Jesus didn't die on the cross merely so that we would follow the rules. That was what the Pharisees and Sadducees wanted. Jesus died on the cross so that we would have a life that was rich and embellished and worth living by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the new covenant is all about. That's what makes it makes life worth living in Christ. Are you there? So, okay, Uh, without depreciating the fact that there are some responsibilities toward God this morning, I want to look at covenant, because we're talking about God's passion for covenant. I want to look at covenant in a different light, a a, a light that will want to make us build again, that will want to make us go to this meeting next week and come out of it and say, Let's get, you know, let's get on the road here to what God is speaking for the next 40 years to NC4. You there? And so I'm, I'm kind of passionate about that because I believe God is passionate about that. So, now the covenant which God is passionate about, as I said, it's not a rule book. But here's the point, if you could put this, this point up. The new covenant, watch this, is a covenant that softens the human heart and makes us pliable for God's plan for us. It's not a rule book. It's a way into the future and it's a way of love. I'll say it again. It's a way into the future and it's a way of love. Ezekiel's prophetic description of the new covenant, unlike the prophet Joel. See, Joel talks about smoke and uh, the, the, the moon turning to blood and all that stuff in Acts chapter 2. And that's good and true, and someday maybe we'll... I, I did a message a long time ago called The Wild Ghost of the Harvest. And that, that message talked about all Joel's prophecy. But, but Joel wasn't the only uh, prophet that prophesied about the new covenant. Ezekiel has a different take on it. By the way, by the way, for all of uh, you characters online in here, they're waiting for the second temple to be built, right? I mean, you know, it's like a big thing in charismatic Christianity, Pentecostal, evangelical Christianity. And, and even in Judaism, the, the, sec, the second temple to be built on the te- Temple Mount. You've all heard that stuff. You know, I, I, you know, I've said this before. This is a little bit of a diversion But because Ezekiel does prophesy, Ezekiel does prophesy the new covenant. uh, Take a look at the temple of Ezekiel sometime, because that's never been built. hear me? And there's a real, there's a contingent of of Judaism as well as uh, evangelical Christianity that believes that the temple will be built, but it ain't going to look like what was. It's going to be better and different and more spiritual, more wonderful. Are you there? And, and it's because Ezekiel had a vision of a temple. That temple has never been built. As a matter of fact, architecturally, it's impossible, that temple. And yet it's in the scriptures. How's that? Right. And the, the, the reason I kind of love it is because I believe it's a spiritual temple. Are, are you there? Now, I don't, I'm not going to get into Israel and all that kind of stuff that's way off the beaten track for this morning. But it's really interesting that Ezekiel has a vision and he has a vision of covenant that's a vision that makes pliable and soft and loving the human heart. Huh? So let's, I'm just going to read this one, one verse, and then we'll go to Zechariah, and I'll do something different. Okay, so in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, he talks about this new covenant. In verse 26, he says, I will give you a new heart. How's that? I will give you a new heart. Something is going to happen, Ezekiel says, that will change the fabric rudimentarily of the human heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Wait a second. I thought flesh was a bad word. Huh? I thought flesh meant sin and all those kinds of things. Well, sometimes it does in, 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 in the New Testament, but here Ezekiel's kind of giving us a very, very radically different picture of what covenant's gonna do. It's going to give us a heart that's pliable and loving and able to be flexed and able to, lo- able to love others and able to, to lay things down and pick things up for the purposes of God that previous to this covenant, could never happen because your hearts were hearts of stone. Remember the old Rolling Stones song? Now, I'll never, 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 never break that heart of stone. On Calvary, the heart of stone was broken, and we can move into that. All right. And I will put my spirit within you, verse 27, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. And, and be careful to obey my rules. See, the rules aren't something that are going to be obstacles anymore. They're paths forward into light and to life and to covenant, all right? Verse 28, and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. That's called a covenant formula. That's a pretty different picture of covenant, isn't it? Huh? All right. Now, I, you know, I don't know that in 40 years of pastoring, I've seen such a a season of hard-heartedness in the church. Uh, For, you know, look, it's not merely the world, it's the church. I'm perplexed at the amount of pride, anger, disappointment, and fear I've seen in the last two years. Are are you there? I'm just being honest with you. And, And, uh, It's not dissimilar to the Israel, however, that Ezekiel was talking to here. It's not dissimilar to the disillusionment that Zechariah was prophesying into, saying, get up, pick up your tools, build the church, build the kingdom, get up. Pick up your sword, move forward, build, because the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord. So, it's in Zechariah chapter 8, uh, remember, it's Zechariah who's the encourager in the book of Ezra, and in Zechariah chapter 8, he, he prophesies, and we're going to get to it right here, he prophesies a description of the millennial kingdom which is so rich, but watch this. It's so human. It's so human. And it's so rich, it's so human, and he prophesies it, and he unpacks it. So I want to I lean into that this morning. Is that possible? And I don't know, this is a little, a little different, a little weird, but I'm going to ask you all to stand up, and, and I'm going to ask Katrina to come up and tickle the plastic here. Um. <laughs> If you, for those of you who can stand up, will you stand up? Because we're going to read the word of the Lord. And I, I want to do some envisioning. What, what i like to do is to have us all stand, and I want to read this aloud, and then I want to simply outline eight goals of covenant that are enshrined in what Zechariah Ezek- uh, uh, has to say. All right. Okay. I'm going to begin by just giving you a little bit of... of uh, Sandra's prophecy. I don't normally blather on about a prophecy, but I feel like it's a key strategic moment, yeah? Okay, so uh, close your eyes and let's pray just for a second. Father, just over the next minute or so, would you cause the words to be the word and make that word flesh because the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We pray for this season that we're going into over the next week and as we talk next weekend. We pray for this season that we're, we're leaning into and we pray that the glory of it would be greater than all the glory that's accumulated through the years. That something really wonderful would happen with this, our family, our church. And This is what Sandra prophesied. Just let, let your spirit absorb it She said, I feel the Lord is saying, he's not saying no to all of your desires right now. He's just saying not yet. Because the transitions are not completely over, but we're coming to the end. And what we have to understand as we're approaching that threshold into the new, everything is released from hell to keep us from getting And the Lord is releasing something here this morning to enable us to get through into a promised new place. So the Lord says, lift up your hands and rejoice. Sing and dance because the new day is here. The new day is here, but it has not yet manifested completely. So don't give up. Don't get weary. Keep moving. Keep dancing. Keep laughing. Keep smiling. And you will be in that place where everything he has said and promised to you will be manifest to you, says the Lord. Keep an attitude of worship. Zechariah chapter 8, and the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, Thus says the Lord of Hosts. This is Yahweh Sabaoth. This is the Lord, the general of the armies of Israel. Thus says the Lord of Hosts. I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy. I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men, I love this, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls, playing in its streets. And thus says the Lord of hosts, it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days. It should also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts, verse seven. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, or look at this, I will save my people from the east and the west, and I will bring them to to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Verse nine, thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong, let your hands be strong. You who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets, who are present on that day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast. Neither was there any safety from the foes that 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 that, that bother you for for him who went out and came in. For I said every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days declares the Lord. Something's changed. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit and the ground shall give its produce and the heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword, of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. Lord Jesus, we pray that that we would be the recipients in the most practical ways of all that Zechariah prophesied. Was triggered by your servant Sandra, and we we just speak, speak into existence all that you promise for this church, in Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. You may be seated. The word, the title of this message is the fatness of covenant. Now, I I, I didn't say fatness because I'm fat. <laughs> I said fatness because it has a certain meaning in the uh, in, in in the Old Testament world. Thank you, Katrina. Appreciate that. There's an anointing on when she tickles the plastics. There's an no anointing on there. So the word fatness in the Old Testament is a really positive word, and it describes the over-the-top richness and the over-the-top blessing that God has a passion to give us, uh, and and uh, This passage describes, that I just uh, read, it describes the richness, the richness of covenant, the richness of God toward us. And there are eight attributes of God that are kind of woven in to the fabric of that prophecy. These are eight attributes of God. And I I want to just run through them and then we'll pray and uh, and we'll commit them into this this coming week. The first is this. God is a God of our protection. Look, we've been through a tough time. And it's easy to allow the enemy to whisper uh, the suggestion of darkness that that God doesn't care. But God says, listen, I am not only a God of, in this passage, I am not only a God of your protection because jealousy is a, a means of protection. Good jealousy, we talked about it last week. Is a means God is jealous for our security. I'm jealous for my children's security. I'm jealous for my wife's security. Uh, that's a good jealousy. God is jealous for our security. It's why we wore through this thing. It's why we walked through this thing. It's why we just didn't close up church and say, "Well, we're not going to do anything anymore." It's why we 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 bent our, bent over backwards to try and hear the Holy Spirit as to how to do this right, because God is jealous. For our security. The whole motivation of eldership coming through this whole period of time was the security of the people of God. Are you there? And it wasn't trying to to align to some political position or this or that. I don't care about that stuff. I care about the security of the body of Christ that I'm called to oversee by the call of God that's upon my life. You're there. And God is a jealous God. So not only does He say, not only does He say that I'm jealous for you, He says, I'm jealous for you with wrath. That doesn't mean. He's saying that if you break the covenant or if you fall flat in your feet, in the, off your feet in the covenant, that I'm going to direct my wrath at you. He said, I am so jealous for covenant that I put all my wrath on my son who became one of you so that you would not be the recipients of my wrath. But your enemies will if you'll legislate that by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty good promise. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, a whole different deal. So the first thing here is his wrath isn't directed toward us because of the cross. His wrath is directed toward anything or anyone that would harm us. Huh? And we legislate that in this thing called prayer, huh? Under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Um, all right, I won't even get into. Well, I will, just for. Do you remember? <laughs> this is Trisha, where are you? Anyway. This, this is where, like, we did this... Temp- Do you, how many remember the temple tax offering that we took? I think it was like six bucks a piece because that was the amount it was in. I, I have checked that. We pra- I prayed that through daily with having uh, covenant communion with Trish. And, and I've checked, and as I've looked, because we all listed names and put the names, and I've checked. I, I don't think, as far as I know, no one on that temple tax so certain people have gotten COVID, but no one that I know of has died. And that was what we, we, we were entering into when we did that. Are you there? Now, okay, that doesn't mean that people who aren't the card who got, you know, it was just something that God said to do for this church. And I'm happy that God was jealous for this church. Are, are you there? And kind of amazing thing, all right. So, so God is a God of our protection. Secondly, God is a God of presence. And this is really interesting because in verse 3, in the uh, American Standard, in the King James, it translates, uh, the, the Hebrews translated this one. Uh, God says, I am returned. Now, uh, in some of the translations it says, I've returned with you. I, I'm here with you. Well, all that has to do with God's presence. But the interesting thing is in the Hebrew, it's a name of God. Like, let me say it this way: You know how a Yahweh Yira or Jehovah Jireh, some of you say, Yahweh Yira means, you know, I am the God uh, 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 of your prosperity, right? I, I'm the God of your provision, because it's the name of God, Yahweh Yira, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. You know, it's, it's not Jehovah Jireh; it's Yahweh Yira. Anyway, so, 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 Yahweh Yira is the name of God, but here, the name of God is I am returned. I am with you. My presence is not negligible. You know, whether you sense it or not, it's manifest, but whether you have the facility to sense it or not, whether you have the facility to appreciate it or not, you need to know I am here because I am a God of covenant means I am present with you. Uh, It's palpable. It is isn't negligible. Now, I want to say this. One of the earmarks of this church, NC4, from the beginning is that we insist upon a perception of the manifest presence of God. Hear me, because that doesn't exist in other churches and I'm not taking a shot at other churches. God can manifest himself anywhere he chooses to. But the call upon this church is to look to God to manifest himself. What's the manifest presence of God? It's different from the omnipresence of God. People say to me, I go to church at Jacobsburg Park. Well, go do it. But his manifest presence may not be there. And it won't be there with the people. It's here and it's with the people. Are you there? And it's part of who we are. And wherever this church goes for the next 40 years, that has to happen or it's no longer this church. Are, are you with me on this? This is huge. God is a God of presence. Thirdly, God is a God of play. I love the the prophecy. You will laugh again. You're going to laugh. God likes laughter. He likes smiling. He hates sourpusses. He hates people who are... We're going to baptize people the next week in the Holy Spirit, not lemon juice. (laughs) So to play is is to rest in, in the process of challenge. It's to be amused in the process of challenge. Uh, it's, it's to, I have never had chronic pain in my life. I've had chronic pain uh, in my lower back for about six, seven weeks now. And one of the interesting things to me is how, despite the pain, how pleasurable God is. How I can smile when I sing. Are you there? That's called the power of the Holy Spirit, yeah? And so, and, and there's recreation, uh, play isn't always, play, playfulness isn't always comfort, but it's a distracted sort of joy that should attend our lives wherever we go. You know, um, I remember like 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I was walking into the to, to, uh, sanctuary to pick up something and Andy Brown, who's sitting over there, came down. said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, uh, he said doesn't anything bother you? Do you remember that? (laughs) And I said, as a matter of fact, yeah. And he said, well, what? I said, well, off the top of my head, you know, other than stale cereal and stuff like that, you know. uh, I said, the only thing, like, religiously that ever bothers me is hyper-spiritual religious people. Are are you there? I said, it it just gets under my skin, you know, because I don't know if I'm dealing with reality or what I'm dealing with. But other than that, you know, through all the problems and marriage counseling and, the, and you know, somebody's got their, I mean, about once a week, somebody's got something stuck up their nose towards somebody else or toward you or whatever. There's this distracted play, this sort of joy. And I realize it can get out of hand sometimes, but I have a wife, and she tells me that. But, but uh, there's this, there's an attendant joy that, that is... is uh, Human. It's a human covenant. It's a pliable heart. So, so it says here, I love this. I love this. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem because of their great age. How cool is that? Each with a staff in their hands. And, and, and the streets of the city will be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. This is like... You know, I, I love the, the prophecies, the millennial prophecies. And, you know, there'll be a sea of glass. I'm writing on this stuff right now, so I, I don't depreciate it. There'll be a sea of glass and, you know, 24 elders and blah, 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 and all that, all that apocalyptic stuff. It's good. It's got a meaning and stuff. But I love the humanity of Zachariah's prophecy. Old people hanging out, you know. Like, I preached into the Mediterranean area of Europe a lot of years You know, all the way from Portugal through to to Greece. And and all along the Mediterranean, it's filled with these little villages. And at night, everybody comes out in the summer. And all the old men play bocce and drink red wine. And the old women sit and chatter about the old men. (laughs) (laughs) And the kids are playing kickball and stickball in the streets. And the streets smell like wine. You know, this is the whole Mediterranean experience. And, and, and I think, you know, I don't know if I can live with the sea of glass and the 24 elders casting their crowns, but I can live with this. There, And we can get in on this now. This is something human. This is what church should look like. huh? It's, it's that kind of thing. It's called, the, the, the fancy name for it in medical literature is a blue zone. It's so healthy, everybody lives to be 100, you know. It's that kind of thing. All right. So God is a God of play, all right? Then God is a God of paradox. This is one of the most charming verses in, in, in the New Testament. God is a God of paradox. In verses 7 and 8, it says not only does he protect us, uh, but there's not an end that he'll go to to rescue us. So what he says is this. He says, uh, in, I'm sorry, it's verse, not 7 and 8, it's verse 6. There is this charming Hebrew verse And you can't get at it literally, but I'll tell you what it means. This is what God means here. He he essentially says this, if you think that all of this that I'm promising is just too incredible to believe, that's okay because it's almost too incredible for me to believe as well. (laughs) That's what God's saying. It's such a human approach to this kind of thing. And he said, but having said that, you better believe it and pick up your tools and pick up your swords and build, because this is what the end looks like. So when God does more than we can ask or think, irrespective of what we deserve, it's as if God wants us to be astonished. But I worry that we've lost the capacity in the last two years to be astonished by the goodness of God. Then the next thing is God is a parental people planner. This is verse seven and eight. He says, I will bring them back, and they will be my people. Uh, Covenant is not individualistic. He says, I'll put a spirit of peace on them because in the old days, they were eating each other alive, yeah? And here, he's just saying, I'm gonna bring them back. They'll be my people. And see that God never makes a covenant with just an individual. The closest he comes to that is Abraham and Moses, but that's the that could be a covenant people. So so he says... uh, Look, covenant in the scriptures always involves seed. It always involves more than one person. You know? That's us. All right. But watch this. It always involves a place. So now we're here and we're in Mukunji. And I believe in the, in the years to come, we'll be in other places as well. But if we lose this other stuff, I don't want to go there. Yeah? Uh, yeah? I don't want to go there if we lose this other stuff. You know, this is more important. This is bread and butter stuff. This is our humanity. Yeah. All right. And then, by the way, right now you realize all over the church world, people are coming and going out of churches. Are you, are you there? Everybody's thinking, "I'm gonna, I don't know, I'm gonna try here, I'm gonna go." It's go, going on everywhere. I, and I don't, I don't. That doesn't make me bitter or anything like that. But sooner or later, you gotta settle down. Yeah. Yeah. All right. God is a provocateur. That's my French thing, you know. Uh, And I mean that in the best sense of the word. He provokes us. All of God's declared goodness in verse 9 is not to persuade us, but to provoke us to strengthen ourselves and to do this stuff, to be joyous, to be distracted by play, to be able to build, to take our part in the increase of the kingdom. He provokes and perturbs us into faith, not merely to reclaim what, what, what once was, but to make something even better. And that's what we're about right now in this season of this church. Um, there's all these articles in like, I won't mention the publications, but they're all the normal Christianese publications talking about reclaiming the church, reclaiming, I don't want to reclaim the church. I want to go where God's taken us. This isn't a reclamation deal. This is a creation deal. Yeah? And that's what God's saying. Okay. Uh, Next to last, God is intentionally peculiar. All right? In verse 1 and following, God is saying, you've known me in a certain way before. This is part of Sandra's prophecy. I want to say this. I just want to uh, believe it and see it. You've known me in a certain way before but now be persuaded that I will be to you a God that is poised to do beyond what you've grown to expect of me for my name's sake. Amen. I'm telling you, one of the common themes in Scripture is that God delights in revealing himself in ways that just surprise us and make him unfamiliar once again. I'm ready for that. Jesus was constantly befuddling his disciples. Back, anybody ever remember... The woman by the name of Catherine Coleman, yeah, okay, she was the, the faith healer in Pittsburgh, and I mean she was she was, uh, she was as peculiar a woman as could possibly walk the face of the earth. I mean, she was extravagant, she wore uh, clothes that were were uh, were how can I gaudy, you know, and her presentation was gaudy, but she was just being who she was. And she has this incredible healing ministry. I sat at her desk in Pittsburgh about 30 years ago. And, and uh, she was on TV on Wednesday nights. So I had a friend, a very good friend, who, whose mother was in Clearfield, Pennsylvania and had been diagnosed with uh, uh, malignant melanoma and, and it was inoperable. And, uh, uh, and so it was, a, uh, it was a church in, in Clearfield, Pennsylvania and so everybody, they're praying for her and praying for her and praying for her. And so one week, somebody got a word and said, we need to go to Pittsburgh and, and, and to a Catherine Coleman meeting. And so, so they had a Sunday service, and they were going to leave Clearfield and drive to Pittsburgh for the evening meeting. And, and as they were going out the door, the pastor said to my friend, whose mother was ill, he said, he said, she said red, he said, because uh, he had red hair, he said, red. He said, uh, he said, I don't understand why everybody has to go to Pittsburgh uh, to, to see your mom healed. God can heal right here. And, and, and Red said, well, well, I know God can heal right here, but he's not healing right here. He's healing in Pittsburgh. <laughs> so she went to Pittsburgh. They went to Pittsburgh. And Coleman was on the, she would do crazy stuff. And she looks down into the congregation. Back there was my buddy with red hair. And he said, he said hey, Red, who's that next to you? And he yelled back, "It's my mom, bring her on up. And they brought her up, prayed for her, and she was completely healed of cancer. You know, I mean, see, now, the reason I told that story was there were a couple of Bible school students from, actually from Elam who I knew at the time who got an audience, not an audience, they got a meeting with her during the week. And so they went to Catherine Coleman and they sat there and they said, you know, how, how come you can do the stuff you do but we can't do it? Which is a legitimate question, right? You know what she said to them? She said, she said children, <laughs> you're far too familiar with God. That's a pretty crazy statement. And I've thought about that ever since. Am I so familiar with God that I'm incapable of being surprised by his goodness? I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I, it's, it's called cynicism, skepticism. I don't ever want to get like that. I'm in. Okay, I'm on a hobby horse. Lastly, everybody say thank you, Jesus. Lastly. (laughs) And I'm on time. How cool is that? Okay. As a matter of fact, the musicians can come up. God is a God of produce. In verse 12, God declares, for there shall be a sowing of peace. And the vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall shall give their due, and I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all things. Hallelujah. During the ebbs and flows of the history of this church for 40 years, we've had good times, bad times, tough times, uh, not so tough times, all those kinds of things, but it's amazing. Like, we've never been a phenomenal growth church, 40 years, but we've never been a phenomenal growth Lost church either, you know. We've we've just been on this trajectory that God's taken us on, and it's been steady. But all along the the all along the path, He's provided. So, I mean, even in like, look, I I believe for for my sake and your sake, tithing is important. You may not think that's that's the truth. You may think it's just, well, that's the old days. That's the law. That's all. No, 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 it's important because he he rebukes the devourer over your household. And I've experienced that and I've seen it over and over again. I'm not trying to get you to tithe, but I'm saying through everything that's happened in the last two years, people coming and going and all the crazy stuff that's been going on. We've been pretty much pretty close to making budget. And why that's important, we, you know, 20, 30% of our budget goes out the door to help people. Across the world, here we got the soup kitchens, we got, we got, uh, we got all all that stuff. We got excellent missionaries, you know. And we're, we're not a church. We're not a church that makes our missionaries go begging across the world, right? They do get supported by their churches, but the bulk of their salaries come from here. And we have these like super duper missionaries that are ours, you know. We have other missionaries too. And, and so, but God's always provided. How is that? He's just so good. You know, he's ste- he's, God's a steady Eddie. <laughs> you know, uh, he, he's so steady. So, yeah, it's faithfulness. It really is. Um, so as we move over the course of this week into the meetings next week, and even the meeting the following week, which is a joint meeting on the 14th here in, in Bethlehem. Um, I, I just want everybody to know his faithfulness persists. He's going to build something so much greater than uh, what, what we've been involved in building over the last 40 years, as great as it's been. But it, do, it doesn't get worse, it gets better. Yeah? And it's human, but that's the part that I don't want us to lose. It's human. I'm, I mean, I got, one, I got one more minute, okay? I, I, uh, I went to, a, to speak at a, a large um, a conference, b- big network conference, not our network, in the, mid, in the Midwest. I won't mention anything more than that. Uh, and th- there was some death in the congregation of this main church, and then there was some other stuff that went on the big network, 100 churches and so forth. And, and I was there for three days and it was all I could stand I couldn't stand no more because I was so tired of all the Pentecostal cliches. I mean, I was so tired of cliche after cliche, um, all the apocalyptic language and all the... And, and I'm thinking, while all this is going on, there's all these hurting people and, and it was never even addressed. You know, it was, it was kind of yay us. You know, yay God, but yay us. And, and, um, and I, I thought, I really don't want to f- move forward in a church and in a kingdom that isn't the best of humanity because Jesus became humanity and died for us to ennoble humanity. He was a, When Jesus became one of us, when Mary said, be it done unto me according to thy word. You know, there are these plays that I've seen at Advent time where, where all of, all, you know, in, in the play, I've seen these two or three times where like in the play, here's the pre-incarnate Jesus in heaven with the Father, right? And he's standing up there and God says, okay, son, I'm going to have to send you down into the muck and the mire. And all of angels, all the angels are sad, because he's going to have to go down there and live as one of us, and he's going to have to suffer and die. And I understood that, that there is the idea that he's going to suffer and die, but he's going to resurrect and ascend. I mean, there's a purpose to this. And so it's like, and all of heaven is like singing this dirge, OK? And I'm thinking, well, that's not the way it is in the, in the scriptures. All of heaven is rejoicing. Amen. he ain't coming to slum as a human being. He's coming to ennoble who we can be so we can be that body and soul and spirit forever. And that's the agenda of this church. Amen. So let's stand. Hallelujah. Amen. So Lord Jesus, uh, I just thank you that you give me the opportunity to shoot off my mouth like that. we praise you and we glorify you and we, God, you're such a, you're such a great God and a wonderful God. Will you surprise us again, Lord? Will you make us uh, uh, just, just speechless at your glory, at your provision? Lord, would you cause a covenant of peace to come on us, in this season where we would love each other like we've never loved each other before, that people would be attracted by the way that we love. And we ask that, God. It has to be you that does it. You're the covenant God. You bought it with your blood. God, it's got to come from you. We're just willing to walk it out if you will teach us how to love, how to be faithful, how to build, and how to be productive that way. In your name we pray. Amen and amen, and amen and amen, amen. You've never really settled the, uh, the, the notion that God is your covenant God. Uh, this morning is your morning, you know. Um, I'm just going to ask you to pray with me. And if you're, if you're here, just pray a prayer. We're going to pray together. You guys can repeat after me. And, uh, but if you're online, you can also repeat. And let Pastor Mike know that you're praying this prayer Maybe with feeling for the first time or with a sense of faith for the first time. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, if you can repeat after me, that'd be good. Everybody bow their heads. Maybe that'll make us more spiritual. Uh, (laughs) Lord Jesus, we thank you for your death on the cross and the power of your resurrection for every one of us. But for me personally, I invite you into my life. I want to apply the work of your cross to my sin, my mistakes, my failures, and I want to receive you in the power of your spirit. And I want to live for you from this day forward. I receive you by faith. Amen.